Welcome to Shelve Under Podcast, the Toronto Public Library podcast for readers, writers, and flanners. That's right. Today we're talking about walking, strolling, and other ways to get out and explore the city. I'm Michael Warner, and today I'll be talking with my colleague Christina Wong about what defines a flanner. Then Christina will talk to Toronto Star columnist Sean McCullough about what he learns during his six-hour strolls throughout the city. Finally, Christina and I will each recommend a walk that starts at a library branch. This is the final episode of the season for Shelve Under Podcast. On behalf of everyone involved with the podcast, thanks for listening. My name is Mike. And I'm Christina. So why are you interested in the city? Well, you know, I, I was born here and, and I grew up here in um, downtown Toronto. And it's just, it's one of those cities where you really have to get to know it to kind of appreciate its beauty, as it were. I kind of was always interested in urban issues. And I think elementary school, we were taught to like learn more about the city and then, um, kind of the current affairs happening in Toronto. So I kind of already had that background of understanding the city and being involved with the city. And um, I started going to Toronto Griller, Toronto Gorilla Gardener meetings, which is kind of a, a meetup or a group where we try and beautify vacant lots with um, plants and flowers, um, which I know sounds silly, <laughs> but it's actually a really nice idea to beautify the city. And I started attending public space community meetings and just learning. I just want to be more engaged with it in a way. And I think that's important living here. I think it's a bit of a rarity that as someone who grew up in the city and downtown that you have such a a fascination with the city. Um, Would you say that was typical for some of the people involved with say like the guerrilla gardening or other city beautification or city projects that you've been involved with? Have a lot of the people been from outside of the city or... Have they been native Torontonians? Um, you know what? That never came up at the meetings. <laughs> but I think we just all shared this kind of genuine passion to change something about the city or just be involved with the city. How has walking changed your relationship with the city? I feel more connected. It's it's good to go out of the boundaries of where you live and work. And I know that can be hard for some people. But once you realize there's more to that boundary or periphery, it kind of opens your eyes to that there's more to the city. I mean, it allows you to be more engaged and connected, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, it is with such a city of this size, I think it's kind of inevitable that we all have our sort of bubbles of like where we live and or work. And like, that's kind of it. Yeah. Like there's a whole bunch of the other parts of the cities that we don't go to because we don't have to you know it's tough sometimes to you have to sort of you have to find a reason to go out and explore the city but sometimes you don't need to right no sometimes you don't need to but it helps it does help yes it's all all about time and um perhaps the willingness to want to explore the city um but i think once you do and kind of allow yourself or put yourself out there that there's more to the city than downtown um you'd kind of be surprised of what you can find and 
how many amazing communities there are and community projects that are happening. Um, yeah, I think the city has started to realize that we can't just be focused on downtown um, and things like Nuit Blanche, you know, trying to get out into Scarborough and trying to make sure that the city gets represented and has access to this because, of course, a lot of people just can't come downtown for things. So we need to have cultural events happening throughout the city, whether it's, like I said, Nuit Blanche or having doors open sites that are across the city and, and help people discover the city. I mean, those sort of events become a great way to to get out and explore the city with a purpose, if you so choose. For sure. Uh, before we get to your interview with Sean, I was wondering if you could give a bit of an idea of what is a flaneur. Um, I probably won't be giving you the proper definition, but to me, a flaneur is, um, is someone who walks for the sake of wanting to explore the city and taking in all the sights and sounds and senses and just kind of um, reflecting in, in what you see and hear and smell. Okay. I asked partially because I have listened to the interview already, but I had no idea before I first listened to the interview. Um, so I wanted to to give everyone that opportunity because hopefully I'm not the only one who is was not aware beforehand of what a flanner is. My take on it, I yeah. don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think that's close enough. Here is your interview with Sean McAuliffe. Uh, hi, my name is Sean McAuliffe. Um, I'm a writer. I write uh, a column in the Toronto Star, and uh, I'm one of the editors of Spacing Magazine, and I've written a few books about Toronto. So you're, you're known as more of a, a modern-day flaneur. How do you like that association? Um, I guess I write a column in, the, in, Sp- in our magazine Spacing for a long time called the Toronto Flaneur, um, so I can't really complain about, about the, mm-hmm. the name. Um, it's kind of... Uh, it's. I don't like identify completely as it, but it's a fun tool or kind of mode of being, you know, way of exploring the city that is is useful as a writer to be a flanner, mm-hmm. um, to kind of wander around uh, and observe things and sort of overhear things and, and be a little bit part of the crowd, but not totally part of the crowd. You know, always have this like sort a passive of, observer or no, not passive, but a little bit passive and a little bit participant, right? Somewhere in between those two things. Mm-hmm. Um, different people interpret it, the, the idea of a flanner in different ways. So. And how is that associated with, um, I guess, psychogeography? Yeah, they're kind of similar concepts of walking, of exploring a city um, on foot generally. And, uh, you know, the flaneur is is a kind of individual um, uh, way of approaching it, uh, approaching the city, approaching, uh, wandering around. And psychogeography is a little bit more of a practice, I would think, mm-hmm. um, a way of... Like the uh, practice of walking. Yeah, like a, it's a very particular practice of walking, um, walking for the sake of walking and walking for the sake of um, understanding the the environment around you. And how do you decide where to walk or what do you what do you think about when you walk? 
Um, well, it depends why I'm walking, right? If it's, if it's like a Sunday, a nice... Well, Saturday was a nice day. Mm-hmm. Um, early spring day here in Toronto. And everyone was out, it seemed, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, those early spring weekends when it's nice weather. Um, the sidewalks are just completely full of people. And the parks are full of people. So I went for a long dog walk for like two hours. Um, and I just started walking on like the main streets around where I live in the in the near west end of Toronto. Mm-hmm. Other times, if I'm doing... Uh, if I have an assignment or I need to write about something that's that'll be a little bit more directed um but sometimes I have like a like a general idea of where I want to walk um and like there might be something interesting there and so I don't really have a I guess a, a you know like a strict like map of, of where I'm going to go so whatever kind of looks interesting um kind of follow that and that's kind of a psychogeographic idea of the derive or the drift as they called it um in Paris when they started doing it of drifting through the city and and, and whatever wherever there's an intersection or a choice you have to make uh left right straight down up um you can whatever whatever you feel like going is mm-hmm. is, is the way you can go um i remember reading something that i guess you did this for your one of the classes you taught at OCAD where you there was like an algorithmic um, plan for a walk. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, and I do it with my current students in oh. U of T as well. Uh, and we just did that two weeks ago, which was, it's always fun. Um, there was a, a psychogeographer in Amsterdam, maybe 15 or 16 years ago, who did these algorithmic walks. And he would uh, kind of create these random al- short algorithms, something like uh, walk one block, turn right, walk two blocks left, one block right, repeat. Right or, or combinations of that, so uh, it took the choice out of out of the walker's hand, mind, foot, um, and and they had to follow that, and that would lead to unexpected places uh, in the city because you know we we did it once early on. We started at um, like the city TV much music building at uh, Queen and John, and for whatever reason, our random algorithm that I created. We just kind of walked in circles around the uh, the the was the much music building, um, and at first it seemed kind of boring. It's like, oh, this is a dud of an algorithm. Um, and then it, on like the second or third time around, they were just slightly different. Like an alley, we went down an alley, um, and or we went one street over, but we were still circling the building, and all this new information kind of appeared like oh look at this kind of detail and and um, this place that I thought we knew really well because um, we passed by it it's always on TV uh, still was able to reveal all these um, uh, up until that point uh, undiscovered details so it was great and so I send the students out and they have to map where this algorithm takes them and they, they walk for about 45 minutes like drawing it? yeah they hand draw a map um, so I want the map to be a little bit navigable so if you wanted to, to repeat or, yeah, oh. repeat what they did uh, you could follow it but otherwise I tell them just to put as many details as they can so it's kind of a creative uh-huh. assignment uh, not writing a paper for once so uh, maybe really they kind cool. of enjoy it I and then, I had that class when I was at UT. <laughs> And I really like hearing, look, and, and on the last class they come in and they present their maps to the class and talk about what, this, what they say. And, and some of the details that they pick up are things I've never noticed. Yeah. Or, or they have these interesting interactions with um, people on the street. And it's great. I, 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 hope it, I hope it encourages them to kind of keep looking. But yeah, we don't notice things because we're generally moving through the city with a mission, like get to work, get to school, get to the whoever's house we're going to, go shopping. Um, and the city is a bit of a struggle to get through. Um, so we always feel like we're perpetually kind of fighting it, right? And, and, and so getting to the destination tends to take all the uh, all our attention. Um, and so it's really easy to kind of pass through places uh, without really noticing it. And this, um, the original psychogeographers who were in Paris in the... Um, 
in the 50s and 60s, they were they were situ- part of the Situationist movement, which were kind of like radical Marxists who were, uh, this is really reducing what they did, but they were kind of upset with, you know, like the, the state and, and, and capitalism and all that. Um, but they thought people were kind of passing through Paris without actually noticing it, without studying and observing the place that they, they lived every day. And they wanted to break people out of that kind of rut, right, that kind of home to work uh, rut. And, and so they would do things like um, go on drifts, um, but they'd also go uh, explore Paris using a map of London sometimes. Oh, so wow. they would intentionally try to get lost, right? Um, and they had all these other kind of techniques to break out of the, the daily routine and see the city. And even if you uh, uh, approach an intersection that you go through every day, but approach it from a different direction, a new direction, you come through the alleyway or something like that, it reveals new information, a new kind of context to the place. So you, um, I'm, I'm forever surprised that even uh, after doing this sort of thing, semi rigorously or not rigorously at all uh, for a bunch of years how places in Toronto or elsewhere that I thought I knew really well um, still revealed stuff that I had not noticed before so uh, it is not a boring city when you start paying attention to it actually there was sorry you just reminded me of something from your book stroll um I'm just going to read a little bit about it. Since Toronto seems to exist without design or reason we don't expect to turn the corner and see beauty or be amazed which is really interesting because I think you're like we're so used to this routine where we don't expect to see anything, and and you encouraging us to walk um, kind of makes us realize like oh we should actually be paying attention to the city and kind of thing. Yeah, and so in Toronto's an interesting case because it was never uh, it's not a beautiful city traditionally. It's beautiful in its own way, but that's a, it's a unique way that takes some um, getting used to maybe or, or learning to think it's beautiful. Um, so people aren't here here they're they're not exactly trained to or, or, or kind of um, instinctively look around for the beauty, right? I think maybe people who live in Prague or or, uh, or or Paris or Edinburgh or some other traditionally, you know, Western idea of beautiful city uh, might be might be a little bit more proud of it and look around and say, oh, this is this beautiful thing. But even those cities, um, the, the kind of more famous beautiful bits, uh, the postcard bits will get all the attention. And you can probably find a lot of details that are uncelebrated beauty in a, in a traditionally beautiful place. Whereas Toronto, uh, the details are there kind of lying in the shadows. You're originally from Windsor and you kind of came here and you kind of brought this whole new perspective of seeing the city well for me anyway it's interesting how it takes um i don't want to say you're an outsider but like someone who's not originally from the city to actually make us realize how great a city can be yeah an outsider's perspective is often quite useful um i don't know if i get to say that anymore after 19 years almost of being here but stroll came out after my first 10 years of being here i kind of think of it as my 10 years of wandering toronto trying to understand this place i think if if i was uh, from toronto uh based on people i met here uh and this is not at all a universal condition but uh, a lot of torontonians did not appreciate the city that they lived in whereas i coming from windsor a smaller place always thought this place was like so exciting and and um you know driving in coming in on the gardener i remember on our grade eight trip looking out the windows of the bus and you look down and you see you know all the all the streetcar wires and uh the idea that there's subways underneath and like the layers you know uh, kind of seemed um uh infinitely exciting to me and so coming here and realizing that i didn't the, the toronto that i visited a few times was only like a surface kind of understanding of the place and i needed to understand it more to be comfortable in it that if if i hadn't been from away uh, I would not have had the motivation to do that. Or possibly I would have, I don't know. But mm-hmm. um, but I think being from 
from away, I could see things that, for what, for a variety of reasons, Torontonians themselves might be a little bit like, um, I don't know, not impressed with. Nobody will run down Toronto quicker than a Torontonian, right? Never mind the rest of Canada or, you know, like everyone hates Toronto. Uh, it's Torontonians themselves that will often do it. Though that's kind of, I think that's changing. And then people like Drake um, telling, giving people permission to actually love Toronto, which was kind of uh, fantastic. Can you take me back to your first walk when you moved to Toronto? I remember the day I moved in, I, we got an apartment at Young and St. Clair. I had this vision of, you know, living in the annex or something, because that's where the friends who went to U of T lived, um, in some Victorian or Edwardian house. And instead we were on the 19th floor of a high-rise, because there was a, a housing shortage in, in 2000. Um, surprise. And, and there still and, is. And there still is. And um, I remember we moved in all day, uh, you know, going up and down the elevator in the truck. And then finally it was, I think it was, it was May 1st and it was a beautiful night. And we parked the truck and I left. I needed to go for a walk. And so I walked out and then looked at Young and St. Clair. And it's like, holy cow, Young and St. Clair is like a downtown of some small city, right? Some city of 100,000 people or 200,000 people. This would be impressive downtown. And it's, and it's the intersection that no one ever talks about or thinks about. And I walked a little bit east on St. Clair to the uh, bridge over the Vale of Avoca Ravine um, towards uh, Mount Pleasant. And I heard of the ravines, uh, and I could see on the map that there were ravines, but I didn't really understand, right? Because when you drive in and out of Toronto, uh, we've done a very good job at, of hiding the ravines. You know, if you drive on any of our arterials over a ravine, you go on this big cement uh, bridge that doesn't, it's not designed for the view, it's designed to get over it. So I just walked out to the middle of that bridge and looked down into this kind of abyss of, uh, it, it was dark, uh, but it had sounds, you could hear the trees, and you could really smelly like it was a wonderful spring smell of, of plants growing and everything and it was just like oh, okay I get it and it was this like wonderful moment after an exhausting day and a little bit overwhelming the day you move to the big city from your small town and then to have this moment um, standing over this dark ravine and and being really fascinated by, by and thinking oh this might be a good place that's really beautiful uh, but I remember the next day I had to start looking for a job. And so um, and I had very little money. And, and so I always tried to save um, TTC fare. So I'd walk places. I'd walk downhill on Young Street a lot to Young and Bloor, uh, where there tended to be offices and things and um, places to leave your resume. Um, also places to print your resume because I didn't have a computer at the time. So. so you kind of like really map out the city when you need to get something done. So I knew where all the um, those kind of like social service agencies were, where you can use computers to find a job um, and the libraries that uh, allowed you to do that. Um, so I'd walk to those places. Those were kind of my like daily walks. And um, walking down Young Street, I realized that there's, oh, it's a hilly city too, right? Like you don't talk, nobody talks about the hills of Toronto. I mean, it's not like the hills of mountains of Vancouver or or Calgary there in the distance, you know, always there. But, but we have this subtle landscape. Um, so it was like this kind of slow, wonderful discovery of these topographic and neighborhood details that uh, I got. I wonder if I, uh, I applied for a few jobs like out in, far out in the 905 and I had to take these very elaborate bus routes to get there on a few systems. And if I got a job out there, I probably would have had to buy a car because that would have been a little too much to do every day. And, but I think this, having not got those jobs and having these that four months, five months of looking for a job in Toronto on foot, that really planted the the seed, I think, of, of how great it is to walk through the city. Um, and then once I got a job, uh, I kind of continued doing that on Sundays. I would just go for these kind of six-hour wanders across the city to try to kind of find more of it. 
And how do you see walking um, changing our relationship with the city, or how how do we, um, or how do we make that connection with the city, or does it solve any urban problems by walk by us walking, or it might solve an urban problem like congestion. Um, uh, you know, you're you're not taking a car, right, and you're not uh, overloading <laughs> an overloaded transit system. So, um, so but otherwise. I think it helps us understand urban problems or just the uh, urbanity, uh, the city in general, because uh, it gives us this really intimate relationship with the city. Anything faster than walking, uh, you have to either pay too much attention to um, the speed, like if you're on a bicycle, uh, which is great, I ride a bike a lot, um, but you have to pay attention to you know potholes and traffic, which wants to kill you, and and um, you're, you're moving, right, at a speed that requires a lot of attention, uh, certainly in a car, um, and even on transit sometimes, uh, you're moving a little too fast, or you're seeing the world through like a windscreen, so it's like watching it on TV a little bit. Not exactly, but kind of. Whereas on foot, um, you we're, we're kind of light, right? And and there's no apparatus like that we have to, to kind of take care of. You can stop and right. You can stop and you can smell things. You can overhear things, and you can notice the gentlest details, like a slope going uphill and, and that sort of thing. Um, Rebecca Solnit, who wrote a book in 2000 called Wanderlust: The History of Walking, has this great line where she says, "Cities move at the speed of walking." And she said is something like three miles per hour or five kilometers, I guess, some, give or take, right? And she's like, that's the speed where you can absorb all the details and you don't have to pay attention to, uh, you know, every footfall because you can kind of, in, in a city like Toronto anyway, you can reasonably assume that there's not going to, like the stop, sidewalk's not going to, you know, drop off, though sometimes it does. And and so you can, you're free, your gaze and your senses are free to look around mm. and, and absorb the city around you when you're on foot. Um, is there a specific Toronto scent? Well, I guess it depends where you are. That's true. I think at Spacing, we once did a, um, a, a, smell. a smell map. Yeah, a smell, well, based on walking, but a smell map. And, you know, we have the whole chocolate districts uh, mm -hmm. in, in the west side uh, around the two chocolate factories. It's kind of amazing that there's two chocolate factories tucked in to uh, Toronto neighborhoods. Uh, there used to be the fortune cookie smell on DuPont and Bathurst, but that has been torn down. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, a condo, and the there's often interestingly, like we have a lot of buried creeks in Toronto, and I found that when you cross over a buried creek, sometimes in, even in the like far in the suburbs, when I'm going on like long bike rides, uh, which is a kind of psychogeography, but rolling it a little bit, uh, dipping into a buried creek because there's always this a slight depression in the land. Um, sometimes you can smell a dampness. Uh, it's like the creek has never totally been contained. Um, and, and the weirdest thing is, I and I find it on, maybe I wouldn't notice it as much on foot. This is one time being a little bit faster helps. Um, like there's a temperature change. Because uh, I'll know where like a creek is on like Danforth Road or Bellamy Road way out in Scarborough. Uh, and I know one had been buried there. And I find when I ride over it, it like the temperature drops like one or two degrees or, or something like that. It's like noticeable. And then once I pass over that buried part, it kind of gets back mm. up to the, the warmth. So um, you you notice these these like, sensory details um, when, when you're kind of out in the city like that. How do you think we can make the city more walkable or what does a truly walkable city look like? Well, I don't know what it looks like because 
Because I think or walks. no matter what a city looks like, it's probably it's, it's interesting to walk it, right? Like so, like Vegas versus London, mm. they're both interesting cities to to walk in. Uh, but I think a walkable city is a safe one to walk in, and cities don't always seem safe, or different parts of the city don't seem safe. Toronto certainly right now does not seem feel like a safe place. There's I feel like every day um, there's some interaction very negative interaction generally with a car but not exclusively sometimes a bicycle um, and I think Toronto's gotten to this point of critical mass where the the kind of uh, car culture uh, the amount of car driving that happens in Toronto which probably always been like hi you look at old pictures there's there were a lot of cars out um, but there weren't as many people on the street and now we have as, as the population goes up there's so many more people on the street and the streets are so crowded and there's this um, there's this kind of battle for the space right and and as things kind of get tighter people get angrier and and shorter and, and uh, temper and, and that sort of thing so these these kind of collision points literally and metaphorically um, are, are increasing so it feels it feels a little bit lawless sometimes um and that's and 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 that's like in in the center of the city um you go kind of farther out to the city that was designed more um more explicitly around the car in the post-war era and other cities like that um you do kind of get the you start feeling really small as a pedestrian as as this kind of built form around you the environment was built for um faster moving vehicles um so while those are interesting to walk in as well um it's not particularly walkable um the other thing um beside that kind of safety stuff um, a walkable city is one that reveals surprise um a lot you know it's like um one place I really like to walk is the strip malls around Toronto uh, or even uh, in, in the 905 um, because they, they, they tend to be these really interesting places without a lot of um, chains, um, nothing wrong with chains, uh, but you kind of know what you're going to get if you, if you have repeating uh, drugstores and that sort of thing. The, the strip malls, because they're a little bit, they've been a little bit unloved and um, they're a little bit off the radar of, you know, like trendy uh, Toronto, it, it, it's a little more affordable, so there's a lot more mom and pop shops, and it kind of recreates like a traditional Main Street, and and that's one wonderful. When you walk through them, I don't know what each one, each block is going to reveal, what kind of interesting shop, and and that sort of thing. So having those that that potential of infinite variety and layers to kind of keep digging through makes a city really uh, interesting to walk through. And even though Toronto has been sort of my job, partially my job, to walk in. Um, since I invent, decided it would be my job to walk in it, um, it continues to reveal detail. So it's um, whenever somebody says Toronto is boring, I say like that's your fault. Like the, it's it's there waiting to be discovered. Exactly, and I think um, you you kind of did that with uh, your writer in residence um, residency uh, a few years ago. You you kind of sorry you did the writer in residency at the Toronto Public Library. I should say that <laughs> um, you kind of uh, had walks in different areas of. Um, Toronto. Why do you think that was important to incorporate it in your residency? Well, I think I was the first nonfiction writer in residence, and uh, as an urban writer, I thought it would be really great to take advantage of the the branches uh, of the Toronto Public Library. And so we picked like five or six branches, and I tried to make it somewhat geographically representative of of um, this vast forty four kilometer wide city. Um, so we we did a great one from the Bendale Library. And another from the Fairview Library up at um, uh, Don Mills and 
Shepherd. Yes, right behind the, the mall and the, at the end of the Don Mills subway. And we walked around the peanut, uh, the Don Mills peanut, uh, which is kind of like a, a, a interesting post-war space. Um, and we did Alderwood. So we, we could have done we could have done 99 different walks. Actually, if, if the if the residency was longer, I probably would have liked to do that. Um, and you, the libraries are so um, neighborhood focused that when you get to the branches, it's like you, you get an understanding of the neighborhood because uh, like the uh, language collections, you know what demographics yeah. are there, which is really nice, actually. And actually, the, and, and the local history section, not yes. every library has it, but um, a lot of them have these vertical files that librarians for decades um, did clippings, right, whenever the neighborhood came up and have all these kind of like um, subjects, uh, local subjects. And when I was writing Stroll and subsequently other stuff, but Stroll for sure, um, those local history sections were totally invaluable. So the book is better because of the, the mm. branches. But yeah, if you ever, I, I've recommended to people before that if you if you need like a, I don't know, like a guide or a reason or like, how do you pick if you, where to start exploring Toronto? Uh, I say like, just kind of randomly pick some library branches and use that as a place to start. And mm. you kind of, kind of circle out from there. Do you feel that you've walked all of the city? Uh, no, I have not. The more I have walked, the more I have discovered that there's more to walk and, and understand. We worked on a, um, a Ravine documentary a couple of years ago uh, called Accidental Parkland, uh, which is out. You can rent it on Vimeo. Um, and, and we spent, I think, a year and a half um, on this thing, walking ravines, filming them, talking to people who um, work on Toronto ravines and explore them. And um, just within the ravine system, um, it was like, oh, wow, there's a lot more that I have never been to. So I think it, uh, even just like if I wanted to explore all the ravines in Toronto uh, and all the tributaries and all that sort of thing, it would be a lifetime project. So um, Toronto in my lifetime will not um, exhaust itself. Any book recommendations? If you want to get into city walking, um, read Rebecca Solnit's Wanderlust. It's still in print, and it's really wonderful. And it's not just city walking. She talks about like she talks about the the peripatetic uh, poets and philosophers, and how walking has kind of uh, weaved its way into uh, intellectual life uh, and city life too. Uh, and it's, it's really great. It kind of became my um, Bible of walking. Uh, specifically for Toronto, I've really liked um, Robert Fulford in 1995, wrote a book called Accidental City, which... Great book. Yeah, I read it when I first got here in 2000, so it was only about six years old then. Um, and the city had already changed, you know, uh, and he had these... It, it, he had a snapshot of it, uh, of the city 20-some years ago that... Um, it was right before the, the condo boom, uh, which has not stopped, you know, for 20 years, uh, right after the recession of the early 90s. So it was this interesting moment of uh, when, when Toronto uh, was about to have all this radical change. And, and just his observations of the city and, and, and um, neighborhoods and that sort of thing have really stuck with me. I think I re read it twice. It's a really useful, uh, wonderful book. walk Mike? I do. I don't, I wouldn't say I stroll. I usually have a purpose and I usually have headphones in. So I'm not taking in all the sights and sounds of the city. I do try to watch my steps. I know no one wants to hear about people with and how many steps they have to do in a day. So I do, I do try to get walking into my part of my day. I've got a 15 minute walk to the subway on the way into work. So I, I do that in all weather conditions. 
um, so I don't have to wait for the bus and I get some sort of picks me up in the morning and gets me a little awake as I'm coming into work. I mean, I also don't drive as well, so that sort of makes me more of a walker than a lot of other people would be. But usually, like I said, for a purpose and not so much to wander, be a, yeah, wander or be a part of the city. Why um, is that? Do you know? I, th- I think it's just me. Like I'm a like to be efficient and a time saver. I don't know. Like I I like the concept of going on a, a six hour walk, but I also realized that like not you know, everyone well, can do that. Not everyone has the ability, like the physical ability to go on that long of a walk. Most of us don't have the time to go on a six hour walk. You know, there's a certain amount of privilege to be able to have six hours to to do or it's part of your job. And, you know, part of your job is going on six hour walks and building it into your work. Um, and we don't necessarily always have the infrastructure set up in the city for walking, I yeah. think. Um, since my mom hasn't been able to walk as much, she now relies on a um, a cane and a, a walker. I've started seeing the city through her eyes and how inaccessible a city can be and mm-hmm. how there's lack of street furniture because she can't walk long distances or just even a few blocks. She'll need to sit and there's nowhere really to sit. A lot of the street pavements... Um, sorry, sidewalk pavements, they don't have that dip in. Right. Um, and a lot of stations aren't accessible yet. Yeah. And, you know, even sometimes of the year with when you have bad weather, you know, like you see people walking on the streets when you've got a bad snowstorm and, and the sidewalks haven't been cleared, um, whether it's, you know, sometimes people with strollers have to do that, people using mobility devices, I often see um, having to use the street just because it is the only way they're able to, to get around. There are issues. Challenges. You know, yeah, that's yeah. a better word. There are there are challenges for a lot of people with uh, being able to go on a long walk. I have a very small bladder. And so I can't go on a six-hour walk unless I'm like, I need to know where I'm going to be using the bathroom during a six-hour walk. Like, these are the practicalities that I think of, which is, I think, a great segue to talk about why it's great to use library branches as a starting point for a walk. Yes, which Sean mentioned, if um, you want to start getting into walking, that is a good way yeah. to do it. Well, and you get to discover the city. You get to discover a library branch. Free bathroom. Free bathroom at the library branch. So do you have a branch and walk recommendation? I want to say Thorncliff Library. So my friend and I had gone there maybe a few years ago, wanting to actually check out the market that was happening. And this market only happens on Fridays where they have a, um, my God, what are they called? Uh, I don't want to, pita? So there's a, there's an oven where they make pita bread and it only happens on Fridays. (laughs) So we knew um, we wanted to check this out. But then when we got there, we decided to just explore this the area and we came across Thorncliffe Library and then we went to the market. Um, we did miss the pita. <laughs> they only sell a certain amount. If you're not there, then they're not there in time, then they're all gone. Um, but it's such a beautiful community because there's all these um, entrepreneurial, like newcomer startups happening and it's got a great, I don't want to say community feeling all the time, but it really did. We came across the community garden and one of the gardeners was there and he uh, 
was telling about um, why he wanted to garden and why it was important to have this space. And and it's one of those communities that's um, kind of like tucked away. It's not it's not the easiest place to get to, or no. it's also like. I think because of the way the geography works oh, yes. uh, with like the river, it's like, it's not a th- through route for anyone. Like no. you're never like passing through. You have to like, you have to go in there yes. with the purpose of going, going in there. there. I do want to say the community, um, Thorncliffe Women's Committee that uh, pretty much I think runs that market is an amazing um, community initiative as well. And it's one of the founding members um, and chair is Sabina Ali, who I had met actually a while back at a Toronto Food Policy Council meeting and just hearing what she was doing with that community, Thorncliffe community, was amazing. Um, how, how about you? Where would you recommend? So I grew up in the west end of the northwest part of the city and that's where the like the Humber River runs up there as well, like it runs through Etobicoke. Um, and so if you go to the Humberwood branch, um, it is part of a community center, so you might not realize that there's a, a library in there at first if you're not looking for it. And from there, you can get access to the Humber Trail. Um, so you can take the Humber Trail. It runs, um, well, throughout Etobicoke, but that part, that north part, uh, you can take it from there. It goes um, around and even behind Humber College. And there's a Humber Arboretum that's in there as well as part of the Humber College North Campus. So that is the walk I would recommend is starting off at the Humberwood branch. Um, If you wanted to get a true flavor of the branch, I'd probably say go after school. Um, Because actually, it's not just in the community center. It's also a public school and a Catholic school and a community center in a library all in one building. Uh, So if you want to see what the true life is like at the branch, I imagine they get really, really busy after school. So go after school, take a walk on the Humber Trail, visit the Humber Arboretum, and uh, then once you're done there, go find some like awesome food in Frexdale. Uh, there is parking for the community center if you're driving, or I think the Finch bus ends up all the way over at Humber Road Community Center if you're looking for taking a very long tr- trek on Finch Avenue. Uh, and think i would do that actually <laughs> it's really cool um that's my recommendation um yeah check out the humberwood branch i want to check this walkout i do want to check out peanut plaza it's really cool actually yeah yeah it is shaped like a peanut <laughs> I, I was not aware of this that peanut plaza existed or even the peanut section of of don mills yeah it looks like it's got, it's got some food good food places good food too. places good yeah. um so like uh, some Chinese like steam buns. Yes. Looking forward to that. Yeah. that. That's how I, that's my motivation to explore the food. city often. A lot of the time is, is food um, and like grocery stores. Um, so You've a lot been to of, Nations? I have been to Nations. Um, the one I still haven't gone to is ours, uh, which is maybe somewhere off Warden. Do you want to do a book recommendation? Sure. I have one book actually. Um, it's a little bit odd one, and it's called The Lonely Planet Guide to Exper- Experimental Travel. The book is unfortunately at the Toronto Reference Library, so you can only read it there. Yeah. Um, and it's it's almost like your typical travel guide, except it's you do it in your own town, um, and you kind of go on these random... Like, they have 
number of walks listed, but it's, there's a, one of them was, um, if you were feeling homesick, where would you go? And you would go there to feel that nostalgia feeling kind of thing. So that was, it's kind of out of the ordinary, but it, it makes you, um, kind of explore your own city in a different way, kind of like a tourist, but yeah. Have you, have you done any of the things from that book? Uh, no, okay. I've just read them and it, and they were just, a li- they were a bit unusual. <laughs> <laughs> um, and a website I would recommend going to is janeswalk.org and Jane's Walk pretty much happens usually the first weekend in May and a bunch of cities, uh, take part in this and, these are walks that are community-led um, in those respective cities, and you just go, and they're free, and you get to explore neighborhoods where people either have a story or a connection to them or grew up in them, and they you just walk around and kind of reflect and observe the neighborhood through their eyes. How about yeah. you, Mike? Uh, so I have two books to recommend. Uh, should I start with the weird one or the on-topic one? Let's go weird. Let's go weird first. Okay. Uh, my first recommendation is House of Leaves by Mark Danieluski. Uh This is a fiction book. So when Sean was talking about using like algorithms to explore places or, you know, trying to explore like every area around a building or something like that, for some reason, this book popped into my head. The main part of the story is a um, photographer moves into a house with his family and he decides to make a documentary to explore the process of their move out of the city and into this uh, sort of more into the country. And they discover that the house extends beyond the physical space and the physical walls. Um, So like doorways start appearing where they can enter and everything is all like black and mat inside like walls ceiling floor um and he starts exploring it with some friends and documenting it and it sort of becomes this like labyrinth and there may be a monster inside of it or not and sounds very trippy it is and you also sometimes have to say as they're descending down a stairway you have to turn the book around or turn it upside down which is always really fun to do on transit when you're like reading a book upside down and people are looking at you what's Um, he doing yeah and it's got like footnotes and so basically like this this documentary has been discovered by someone and people are writing about it in a sort of framing narrative it is really weird and hard to hard to describe Um, and so for some reason that idea of like exploring the unknown just made me think of this bizarre piece of metafiction. Um, and my other one is more on topic. It is called Tenements, Towers, and Trash, an unconventional illustrated history of New York City by Julia Wirtz. Uh, this is a graphic novel and it's partially, um, her accountings of like the lesser known parts of the history of New York City. It's partially, for instance, what she does sometimes is find a photograph of um, a building, say, from the early 1900s, not necessarily a historic building. She illustrates that and then illustrates that building in modern day. So you sort of see like the changes that happen throughout a city over time. 
it also documents like her exploration of New York City as someone who um, I think she moved she there. moves there yeah uh, she moves there so it's about how she sort of explores the city and how she tries to find her way into the city life and navigating that sort of big change um, you know she also is like drawing apartment buildings that she lived in it is definitely not that uh, a narrative book it doesn't really follow a structure um, it's got like lesser known aspects of New York City history and it's definitely the kind of thing that um, as someone who loves New York City gave me a whole bunch of places that I wanted to go to the next time I was there um, like there was this like ship what is it called exactly again um, like a ship not a desert but a ship graveyard Oh, yes. So, yes, there's a part about a ship graveyard. We're making a note of that. Yes, where it's basically like a bunch of old abandoned ships. And so you can just sort of like, you know, do the urban explorer thing and go check out all these like rusted up old ships that are off like Staten Island somewhere, I think it was. Um, So, yeah, just those kind of like parts of the city that uh, I would guess even like a lot of locals don't know. And... Um, things that definitely would not be covered in like the tour book that you get from the library before you go planning a trip. Um, so that's one I'd recommend. It really makes me wish that someone would do the same thing for Toronto. It's sort of like the weird bits of Toronto history and Toronto architecture and things like that. Like I think, I do think there is enough about the city to cover in a similar way. I'm just sort of waiting for someone to do that. Anyone? Anyone want to do that? The call is out. The call is out. Yeah, you, you can take my idea. It's okay. <laughs> I will just ask that you come to the library to talk about it when you're done. <laughs> Michael Warner works for the library and can often be found wandering through grocery store aisles. Christina Wong also works for the library and loves walking everywhere and discovering new streets. Sean McAuliffe is a writer based in Toronto. He is also one of the editors of Spacing Magazine. You can stroll along with Sean on his Twitter account at Sean McAuliffe. That's S-H-A-W-N-M-I-C-A-L-L-E-F. Or check out his column in the Toronto Star. Music by Highs. Shelve Under Podcast is a Toronto Public Library production. It is produced by Wendy Banks, Jason Bazadian, Ted Belke, Michael Warner, and Christina Wong. With production assistance by George Panayotu. 